Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Solving the Puzzle with Dr. Datis Karazian, informing you about evidence-based strategies for autoimmune disease, brain health issues, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, gut health problems, and many other chronic health conditions. If you enjoy this podcast, you can find more information on today's episode and other topics at drknews.com. Hi, everyone. Today we're talking about uh, mast cells, histamine, and uh, mast cell activation syndrome. So let me go over some of the key things that are involved with um, um, these key issues. There's been a lot of questions about mast cells and mast cell activation syndrome and some of the things that are involved with it. So um, what I want to do is kind of clarify the confusion. So one of the key things that is happening a lot right now is that um, there are a lot of people that are going on histamine uh low histamine diets. And I've seen in my own practice, patients coming in, they're already on a gluten-free diet, dairy-free diet, um, they're already off lectins and an autoimmune paleo diet, then they add on top of that, they're now on a histamine-free or low histamine diet. And pretty much their diet is just, uh, their exposure to to dietary foods is starting to decrease and they're starting to have um, some major problems. Now, the key thing is, the first thing you have to understand is that if you actually do have an issue with histamine, um, you're gonna have to have symptoms of a, of a histamine issue or histamine problem. So symptoms of a histamine problem are gonna be, you actually have uh, reactions in your skin, like urticaria, where you get like a red, ra- red rash, itchy area of your skin that develops when you get exposed to a food, or you get exposed to pet dander, or something in the environment. Uh, nasal congestion is another major one. You can have um, other issues like uh, even if it's very severe, you can have anaphylaxis, you can have wheezing, you have respiratory issues, uh, you can have chronic gastrointestinal issues and migraine issues. And, and those are all part of the whole histamine reaction. And if you're not having those types of reactions, then you probably don't need to be so worried about histamine. So um, histamine is is a immune, is a chemical signaling agent that's act as a neurotransmitter and as an immune signaling compound. And for some people that have histamine reactions, um, that, that have these histamine reactions, you, you want to try to figure out what's the cause, what's the mechanism, and what's really involved. Now, here's your biggest clue. If you're a chronically sick patient and you're tired and fatigued and you look on the internet, you're going to find tons of symptoms on um, histamine intolerance. And you're going to maybe make the assumption that if you have lots of food sensitivities that you may have histamine intolerance and uh, you may need to take something like called like DAO as a digestive supplement as a as an as a supplement to help break down histamine or you need to go on a histamine free diet and and this is something that you really want to avoid if you actually do have sinus reactions and urticaria and skin redness and skin inflammation being exposed to foods or a trigger or if you have chronic symptoms that are just all over the place and it's hard to distinguish them, I mean, an antihistamine should should make a big change for you. So one of the key things is just determine if you actually you know do have any benefits with taking an antihistamine. And if you do have any benefits taking an antihistamine, uh, then it's a strong clue that you may have this whole histamine mast cell response. Having multiple food sensitivities doesn't mean you have a mast cell histamine response. So let me clarify a few things. Let me talk about mast cells and histamines. Uh, I need about a good 20 minutes to give you some background information. And then we can take some questions if people have them. So one of the first things to really understand is that um, when you're looking at uh, the immune response, let's start with food, and it would apply to food or environmental chemicals. When you have an environmental response to a food or to an environmental chemical, one of the key things to understand is that there's different types of immune responses, and these are dictated by different immunoglobulins or different antibodies. So the key thing with food sensitivities, these are not allergies, and food sensitivities involve uh, what are called an IgE response, uh, I'm sorry, an IgG response or an IgM response. These are different immunoglobulins, and these are delayed food sensitivities. And this delayed food sensitivity response, like if you ever had a food sensitivity test done with someone, if you look at the results, it'll say something like carrot IgG or wheat IgG or IgM or IgA. Um, so those are delayed food sensitivities, and they don't really activate the histamine pathway. The only thing that really activates the histamine pathway with 
um, when you look at food proteins, is an IgE, and that is in relation to an immediate reaction. So one of the key things to know if it's a histamine uh, reaction, it's actually part of this whole mast cell histamine intolerance issue, is if you get exposed to something and the symptoms are immediate. So you get exposed to a food like aged cheese, and then you get like skin reactions right away, or you have some wheezing that takes place right away. So that's 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 the key feature. Histamine responses to foods and to environmental compounds are activated through immunoglobulin E, IgE, and then within two to three minutes, or very quickly, there's there's a reaction. Whereas food sensitivities are delayed, and they're not they're not really involved with the whole histamine response. Okay. Now, when you have an IgE response, um, IgE is immunoglobulin E. So, for different reasons, we have different sensitivities. But if you have an allergic reaction or an IgE reaction to foods and environmental chemicals, those antibodies called IgE then activate immune cells called mast cells, and then mast cells release a whole bunch of chemical mediators. One of them being histamine, and histamine um, then then gets released into the system. And histamine has different effects throughout the body because we have different histamine receptors. So we have uh, histamine receptors um, throughout our skin um, that can cause, these are like H1 and H4 receptors. They can cause uh, itching and redness and inflammation. We have uh, histamine receptors in our gut, which are involved with uh, motility, smooth muscle contractions of the gut, acid enzyme release. So you can have disruption in your gastrointestinal function with uh, excess histamine response. And then there's histamine receptors in the brain called H3 receptors, and they are involved with neurotransmitter activity. So you can have all types of cognitive um, uh, responses with it or mood changes or irritability or, or anger when you have a histamine response. And uh, when people take an antihistamine, they kind of block all four. So that's why some people have significant side effects. But if you have excess histamine, you may actually notice some benefits when you're, when you're taking antihistamine. So um, when you're looking at like as a person looking at is histamine an issue for you do you need to go on a um, low histamine diet you gotta ask yourself are you having immediate reactions are you having these ige allergic reactions or are they just delayed food sensitivities so if they're delayed food sensitivities you're wasting your time with uh, um, histamine free diet now let's go back to the mast cells the mast cells that we produce, uh, that we have in our body, um, they're there in, in, in a normal state. And, and when we look at the different degrees of mast cell activity, um, we don't even notice them. We may get exposed to some kind of antigen or some kind of um, trigger and our mast cells quickly take in place. We trigger an inflammatory response to deal with the antigen or trigger or anti-inflammatory systems coming right away. And we deal with it and we have no reactions. Now. When you go to, so that's like a basic healthy ideal response with how mast cells work and histamine and, and IgE reactions in a, health, a very healthy individual healthy response. When you go to the next level, the second level of histamine reactions, then you have a person who has like occasional skin reactions. They get an occasional rash, they get sinus congestion, and some days are different than other days. And um, they'll many times know what the trigger is. They may know that they're allergic to cats, or they may know that they're, certain, uh, they're allergic to pollen. If there's, there's high pollen in the air, they're going to have some sinus issues and some wheezing issues. So those are people that have some subtle um, issues with histamine responses. Then you have people that have chronic histamine issues, and this is where the next degree of severity comes in, which is like people that have histamine intolerances. And histamine intolerances mean these people that have these have constant sinus issues, constant wheezing, constant um, gastrointestinal issues, migraines, vascular dilation issues, just kind of weird symptoms. And uh, it may have, may have started very slowly and gotten worse, worse over time. So that's where you're dealing with a histamine intolerance issue. And then the next severity of it is something called mast cell activation syndrome, where you have a massive response with mast cells because two things are happening. The body's producing excess amounts of mast cells and um, their response is exaggerated and enhanced. And, and that's a whole different class. And for those people, they, they will have anaphylaxis and they have significant and severe episodes and they um, are, are dealing with chronic immune activation all the time. It's not just an occasional sinus issue and it's not just that they have food sensitivities. They are um, in constant 
uh, allergy type having constant allergy type responses all the time. So those are kind of the the grades of what things are. Okay. So when you kind of take a look back and you look at as, as a healthcare professional, you take a look back and look at patients that come in. I see so many patients that uh, are on a low histamine diet, thinking that it's like the thing they need to be doing. And you know, when you're on a low histamine diet, you're actually getting rid of some really essential foods that are critical, like fermented vegetables or pickled vegetables, <laughs> um, different types of, uh, of fibers or in, that are critical uh, just to improve your health and microbiome diversity um, or part of a low histamine diet. So you really have to ask your question, do you really need to do that? And once again, if you don't have allergy, acute, immediate histamine-related symptoms like wheezing, skin redness uh, issues, it's less likely. And uh, if you've taken antihistamine and it has no effect on your system, it's less likely that it really is a histamine-related issue. And a low histamine diet is really not, is not a place to spend time on. Now, let's talk about people that actually do have histamine-related issues and what do you do about it and, and what's going on with them. And we can look at the different scales and different severities, okay? Now, um, there's just you know something that happens to all of us. All of us have certain potential risks for different allergies. So some of us may be allergic to cats or pet dander, some of us are allergic to pollen, um, and we have to avoid that. And if we can avoid that, we can still you know um, function. And that's not as, as big of a deal if it's an occasional thing or one, one, a couple of things you can figure out and then and dictate your life around it. However, there are some people that have ongoing chronic histamine reactions and ongoing skin itching and redness and inflammation and GI issues and migraines, and that's a whole different story. So when you're dealing with those types of reactions, there's basically, um, there's basically an issue with there's something causing the trigger production of histamines or there's an inability to clear histamines or number three there's an amplified immune response to the whole histamine reaction so in a clinical setting if you actually have figured out you do have a histamine issue that you do actually have histamine intolerance and you do feel better going off being on a low histamine diet and you do feel better taking antihistamines, like natural ones would be like things like quercetin, for example, is one of the best ones. Um, or you take it over the counter antihistamines, they get rid of your symptoms, but maybe you don't take them all the time because you have side effects, but you notice that it actually is a histamine-based issue. Then in the clinical setting, you know, the questions are, why do you have this, this chronic ongoing histamine issue? So when we look at the reasons of why you're producing too much histamine, one of them is basically you're exposed to something. Um, you could you could develop IgE reactions to various things. For example, we did a talk on mold. We know that studies have shown that people who are in a damp building with mold for a long period of time, they start to shift from a IgG uh, delayed reaction to a chronic and permanent IgE reaction. So some people can get mold toxicities. Mast cells are actually also activated by uh, other immune cells also, like eosinophils, parasitic infections uh, activate eosinophils to eat lots to activate mast cells. So parasitic infections can do it. There's studies that show that spirochetes from Lyme disease can activate neutrophils and uh, that turn on mast cells to produce histamine. Um, so you're looking down the path of like what could be triggering it if you're dealing with this chronic histamine issue. Um, the treatment isn't histamine, low histamine diet. The treatment is to figure out what are the triggers. Now, um, you can always look at an uh, uh, environmental test to have your doctor run one of those for you, where they look at immunoglobulin E, IgE, E is an elephant, IgE reactions. And they can do those to foods and they can do those to environmental inhalants um, and then determine if they can find any of those triggers. And then, so that's one of the things, if you can find something that's triggering it. now. There are, um, you know, less likely things that we talked about where someone may have different pathogens or infections. We don't know what all of those are uh, in the literature. We know there's some publications of Lyme disease. We know there's some uh, interesting responses with different parasitic infections and in some people that really activates eosinophils so they get histamine response. So those are things to look at. And, you know, one of the goals of trying to figure out why some of the histamine tolerances is why 
they're producing so much of it to try to find those triggers. Now, sometimes you can't find them, and sometimes uh, they're not that obvious. Now, if you do have a reaction to triggers like uh, pet dander, or some people have uh, reactions to, let's say, pollen being the most most common, um, there is a very effective therapy that has lots of good research behind it. Um, it's a conventional-based therapy called LDA, low-dose antigen therapy, where they give very, very small amounts of an antigen, usually in a sublingual drop, over a period of time, and they monitor them. These are done by conventionally trained medical physicians, allergists, and you can do low-dose antigen. They call it either uh, they call it LDA, low-dose antigen, low-dose allergy. They also call it LDI, low-dose immunotherapy. There's trained uh, physicians that do that, and they can kind of. That's really an effective way for some people. Um, to, to really deal with these Ig responses. So even if they have the exposure to um, an environmental trigger or to a food, like maybe peanuts, for example, um, there's some pretty good, pretty good outcomes uh, published where people that do low-dose antigen therapy can calm down that, that part of the, the increased histamine response. So remember, there's three, three, three things to look at when you have an increased histamine response. What are triggers? And then you identify, an, you identify the trigger, you try to remove it if you can, and then you can do things like low-dose antigen therapy in a conventional um, allergist model to deal with activating that histamine response. The second issue that's involved with having chronic histamine issues is you just may not be clearing it out of your body. And there are ways that um, that can be tested, but they're, they're not standardized yet. There's a serum DAO test. There's two enzymes that really are involved with breaking down histamines out of your body. So once you produce histamines, histamines are gonna aggravate your, uh, excess histamines are gonna activate H1 receptors and cause skin reactions, and, then, and they're gonna activate one of the H1 through H4 receptors and cause wheezing and neurological symptoms and gastrointestinal issues and vasoconstriction and so forth. But if you can't clear them, um, then that's an issue. So DAO, uh, diamine oxide, uh, oxidase, is an enzyme that clears it. That can be measured in blood tests for some people, but the but there's a little controversy if the uh, results are accurate. There's mixed research with this right now, and it's not really commonly available with most labs. Um, so, but it is an enzyme that's involved with clearing histamines. And then there's another enzyme involved with, hist with clearance of histamines called histamine uh, methyl. Uh, transferase and histamine methyltransferase is used to also clear histamine. So if someone has histamine intolerance and you've, you've looked at triggers, the next place to look at is the possibility that they're not clearing it fast enough. So DAO is uh, an enzyme. You can actually take DAO supplements. They're over-the-counter. You can order them off Amazon and you can try DAO supplements and see if that helps you get rid of some of your symptoms. The other pathway that's really important is the histamine uh, methyltransferase pathway, which is dependent upon what are called methyl donors. And methyl donors are one carbon groups, and your liver uh, processes and gets rid of histamine by adding a carbon group to it, and this process is called methylation. And methylation requires um, nutri nutritional compounds, like especially uh, folate and B12, uh, biotine, um, these are compounds, trimethylglycine, that are involved with this whole methylation response. So, um, and, and, and these days you can like uh, just look at nutritional formulations just for methylation, and you'll see a bunch of them on the internet. And they have basically the, the B vitamins and methyl donors that we talked about, like trimethylglycine and B vitamins and folate, all in there to help support that pathway. So some people need methylation support. Some people go on multiple medications and deplete their methylation pathways, and then they can't clear histamines, and then they have to have additional methylation support to make a change there. So the second part of dealing with chronic histamine intolerances um, is to, to find out a way to clear them. So you have the DAO pathway, and then you have the methylation pathway, okay? Now, um, the third part that's really involved with looking at people that are suffering from chronic histamine intolerance issues is what's called amplification of the immune response. So let me explain this. In the field of immunology, um, there are, there's a mechanism called amplification. And amplification means you have an immune response, but it's exaggerated. It's, 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 it's too much. It's not appropriate response. The response is too great for the, for the antigen uh, 
that's there. And these can happen um, for a couple of reasons related to histamine. One of them is associated with prostaglandin imbalances or leukotriene imbalances. So let me explain that. So when you're looking at mast cells and they get activated by whatever the trigger is, they release histamines and then release cytokines and they release different messenger proteins. But the pathway that's involved with mast cells to deal with an immune trigger is also through this inflammatory process called prostaglandins and leukotrienes. And prostaglandins and leukotrienes are um, compounds that are also significantly impacted by diet. And you could have an amplification of the histamine response if you have an underlying histamine, if you have an underlying um, prostaglandin leukotriene uh, issue. And the most common cause of that is, is really related to your, your dietary fat intake. So um, prostaglandins can either be pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. If you have a diet that's promoting increased amounts of pro-inflammatory prostaglandins and leukotrienes, then when you have a histamine reaction, it can be amplified. So uh, prostaglandins um, typically shift into a pro-inflammatory state that can amplify the histamine response. Uh, if your diet is really too high in things like um, red meat, animal products, shellfish, and fried foods, and vegetable oils. And, and that has to be counterbalanced with diets really high in fish oils uh, and flaxseed oils um, that really have an anti-inflammatory effect. So sometimes, you know, we see people that exaggerate histamine response because they're like eating a lot of vegetable oil every day and they're eating a lot of shellfish or red meats and, or they're just not getting enough fish oil. They just, some people say, I hate fish and never eat fish. Um, some people go on a low fish diet because of histamine reactions. <laughs> um, but fish oils um, provide uh, an essential source of prostaglandin support. Flaxseed oil is another key essential fatty acid uh, that can help produce the anti-inflammatory prostaglandin. So when we see people that have histamine intolerance reactions, remember we're looking at three things. One is what are the triggers? Two, are they clearing it out? And three, what's amplifying it? One of the most significant amplifiers of histamine reactions are these prostaglandin imbalances, these leukotriene imbalances. So you really want to take a look at uh, good versus bad fats and really get rid of all the fried and vegetable oils and really increase things like flaxseed and fish oil. That'd be one way to deal with the histamine reaction. The other part of an amplified immune response goes back to what's called immune tolerance. And I've talked about this on many times. And uh, I've developed an online program called the 3D Immune Tolerance Program. And it really involves um, different parts of the immune system. These are called dendritic cells and uh, Kufr cells and T-reg cells. And, and those cells respond to things like vitamin D, um, antioxidants, glutathione. So those are important. And part of loss of tolerance uh, that we know about in the immunology peer-reviewed literature are actually things like intestinal permeability, leaky gut, and even uh, lung barrier permeability. We had a whole talk on lung barrier permeability. So you could have your lung permeable from lack of antioxidants and chronic path environmental exposures. And now when you eat aged cheese or have a glass of red wine, your histamine response is amplified because your immune response is amplified. Now, when you really look at people that, that have histamine reactions and histamine intolerances, there's usually multiple factors that are all adding up that are causing it. They're having uh, maybe all three of those mechanisms involved. So let me repeat them. So number one, one of the key things that causes increased histamine responses, they're getting exposure. So maybe they are having way too much wine and aged cheese than they normally do. So their histamine load is just going up from their exposure. And in combination with that, they're around different um, um, environmental exposures to, let's say, pollen that's adding to their histamine activation. So now they have this huge antigen load, which is part of one of the, it's part of the trigger part of it. Two, maybe they're, Maybe their DAO enzyme is genetically low, or maybe their DAO enzyme that clears out histamines is, is okay, but their methylation pathway is a problem because they're just not getting enough methyl donors um, in their diet. They're not getting enough B B12 and folate. 
or there's, or there's, other, there's a whole list of things that cause methylation balances, but let's say their clearance pathway is low. And then let's add on top of that, they have some stress, and now they're dysregulating their immune system. Now they have also some subtle leaky gut from other issues, maybe some subtle leaky gut, maybe they're vitamin D deficient. The host of all these factors are then going to amplify the response. So when you're looking at the actual clinical treatment and management of histamine intolerance, it's, it's, not, a low, it's not a low histamine diet. Low histamine diet is just there so you don't have as many flare-ups because you can't clear out histamine. The real clinical battle with people that have um, histamine intolerance issues is find the antigens, deal with, uh, support uh, clearance of histamine, and number three, figure out how to make sure there's no mechanisms that are causing amplification of the immune response. So in a clinical setting, you may need to treat leaky gut, leaky lung. You may need to check their vitamin D levels, improve their vitamin D levels. You may have to do an IgE test, look for any kind of environmental or food triggers. They may do some low-dose antigen therapy. Um, they, you know, they may go through a, a host of strategies just to improve their own more overall health. So those are the those are the key things. And I think the frustration is with many people that are dealing with chronic histamine intolerance issues, is they're just trying to find like the one supplement. So they go, I, I tried DAO, it didn't work. So what do I do now? Um, or you know, they tried one supplement versus another. Now, if you do have, if you're suffering from uh, histamine intolerance issues and you just can't handle any any source of like red wine or cheese or fermented foods and yet it's very clear when you take antihistamines your your symptoms improve to some degree um, you may need to be on a low histamine diet until you can figure things out but ultimately it's, it's improving overall health but it's not just about it's just not about one thing so those are the those are the key things i just wanted to cover with you um, before we take questions here and the last part of this I just want to quickly talk about as we get set up for questions here is something called mast cell activation syndrome. And mast cell activation syndrome is like the most aggressive form of histamine reaction. And these are when these when mast cells are overly active and there's there is an increased amount of, of mast cells being produced. And whenever you have mast cell activation syndrome, um, there's different criteria that are needed for the diagnosis. And many people are being diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome inappropriately, and there's also a lot of people that have it that aren't being diagnosed. So let me talk about those for a second. So there's three criteria to talk about mast cell activation syndrome. Number one, there has to be histamine reaction symptoms in two or more organs, like the skin, the lungs, the GI tract, um, the cardiovascular system. So if, if someone has to have, let's say, uticaria and redness inflammation and wheezing and asthma and chronic gastrointestinal motility issues and a combination of all of those, uh, so two more tissues to even be considered for mast cell activation syndrome. Number two, they do lab testing. And within a period of a mast cell uh, immune response, they need to get their serum tryptase levels measured. And if the serum tryptase levels are measured, they compare that to baseline. And if it's gone up more than 20%, then that's number two of the criteria. And then number three, the key way to really confirm the diagnosis is that they go on histamine blockers and they go on leukotriene blockers and immune uh, suppressors and see if that calms down their symptoms. And if it does, uh, then, then they know that that they can be diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome. So, and at that point, if someone really does have mast cell activation syndrome, I mean, pharmacology is something that really can make a big difference for them, and they may not get much out of just taking quercetin or magnestine or ginger extract or other things people typically use for histamine responses. So that's that's the other thing with mast cell. Now, you have to know with mast cell activation syndrome, when it is very severe and very serious and people are having breathing issues and even anaphylaxis, anaphylaxis um, they then have to immediately identify is it primary, secondary, or idiopathic. So they can do some gene testing and do biopsies and tissues to determine what's there. There's a KIT gene that is associated with mast cell activation syndrome. If it's secondary, it could be related to an infection, like, for example, spirochetes can, can activate uh, neutrophils that then turn on mast cells, or it could be idiopathic, meaning they just can't find, find the cause. So that's, that's the end of the spectrum, the mast cell activation syndrome. All the things we talked about by trying to look for antigens, optimizing clearance of histamines, 
um, and then trying to uh, decrease amplification of the immune response by improving tolerance and looking at prostaglandins still apply to mast cell, but mast cell activation syndrome is so aggressive that patients that actually do have that severity of the mast cell response uh, typically need uh, pharmacology to, to function. Okay, let's take questions. Hi. 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 So uh, Sui asks, what would be the, what is the, oh, it went away. What would be the relation with multiple chemical sensitivities? So multiple chemical sensitivities, um, multiple chemical sensitivities are not, are not directly associated with mast cells and immune responses. So chemicals, chemicals don't cause an IgE reaction. Chemicals can, can impact your lung barrier and they can cause them to break down. Chemicals can dysregulate your immune system to some degree, but they're not going to be a direct drive of causing histamine responses. So that's one of the, one of the key things when you look at, let's say, mercury or lead or BPA. So they can disrupt the immune system, but they're not going to directly cause mast cell activation. So if you have uh, significant reactions to chemicals, that's not a histamine issue. That's more of an immune, chem what they call chemical tolerance issue. You can check out the 3D immune tolerance program we made. Um, it goes into how to improve your immune tolerance. And uh, we have articles written too as well. So you can find that at my website, Dr. K News, drknews.com. And our, our immune tolerance program is called the 3D Immune Tolerance Program. And um, also, if you're going to check that out, please don't forget to, to uh, follow us on Facebook so you can get access to all the talks that we do. Okay, Lynn is asking, but a few other people have asked the same kind of thing. How can I fix my leaky gut with a diet uh, to help MCAS if fermented foods are a no-no? Like, well, that well that's, the, that's the key question is like, do you really, have, well, first of all, do you really have mast cell activation syndrome? Right. Mast cell activation syndrome is serious stuff. There's no guessing you have mast cell activation syndrome because you're, you're having anaphylaxis, you're not breathing, you're having severe skin reactions. So if you actually have mast cell activation syndrome and you have a severe load of histamines, then eating fermented foods would cause a severe response for you. Now, if you can't, if you can't do that, then you can, um, and you really do have intolerance to histamine-based foods, so you can't take fermented foods, so you're worried about it fixing your leaky gut. One of the things you can do is you can take what are called short-chain fatty acids, and butyrate is the most common available supplement you can get online, like if you go to Amazon or something, but short-chain fatty acids are really one of the key benefits of fibers and the end product what fibers do. So when you ingest fermented foods or fibers, they help make bacteria, uh, have beneficial bacteria, and the beneficial bacteria produce things called short-chain fatty acids, and it's these short-chain fatty acids that have been shown to help leaky gut heal. They help build uh, what are called clodin proteins and they help activate Treg cells, which calm down intestinal inflammation. So when you have patients, for example, that have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or people that truly can handle histamine-based foods or fermented foods, then one way to get around that is just to use um, butyrate as a supplement, and you, you have some effect on the same pathways by avoiding the uh, fiber or histamine load. Okay, Mariana asks, have you seen a connection between MCAS and parasites? Yeah, I mean, the, there are connections between mast cell activation syndrome and parasites. However, um, you know, parasites alone may be one of the factors with mast cell activation syndrome. Like, mast cell activation syndrome is, is serious stuff. It's People throw this diagnosis around like it's just like, oh, I, can, I have a skin reaction, I can't handle histamines, and so I, mast cell activation has three very specific criteria. And by the way, when you get diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome, they have to rule out tumors. They have to rule out mast cell leukemia. They have to rule out uh, uh, mast, uh, mastomas, which, which really produce uh, mast cells. Um, so... You know, make sure you get the make sure you know you, if you if you're being told you have mast cell activation syndrome, if you actually have it, uh, and you actually have all the criteria, uh, you just may have histamine intolerances. And with, with whether whether it's mast cell activation syndrome, histamine intolerances, remember there's three things you clinically want to make sure you do: look for as many triggers as one of them, support clearance of histamines, and then three, look at things that can amplify the histamine response. So parasites are number one; they can be a trigger. So mast. Uh, so parasites activate in the gut immune cells called eosinophils, and eosinophils send direct 
messenger protein activation signals to mast cells to produce to, to cause them to activate and proliferate and to release histamine. So you can you you can have parasites be one part of the antigen load or histamine load with mast cell activation syndrome or histamine intolerance for sure. Okay, Jill is asking, and a few other people are saying, um, what can they Google or what can they do to learn on their own or see studies about how a diet can can cause amplification of an immune response? Yeah, so amplification of the immune response is a general term, but you're going to have to look under stuff under the word uh, words of oral tolerance or immune tolerance. So if you go to the National Library of Medicine, um, all the peer-reviewed publications are there. Um, and you can just type in the word oral tolerance and find find everything you're looking for. Oral tolerance and diet, oral tolerance of vitamin. You better have some time in your hands because there's <laughs> thousands of papers there. Yeah. But that's where you'll find the information. I summarized all that for you in the 3D immune tolerance program, but uh, um, you'll have plenty of information to read if you're interested in that topic. So Candace is asking, would the immune tolerance program be beneficial for someone with significant histamine responses? Would the immune tolerance program be important for someone with exaggerated beneficial. histamine responses? Yeah. Yes and no. Because yeah. remember, there's three things that cause histamine issues. If your histamine issues related to chronic, chronic antigen load and you, you just have to find the antigen load or do low-dose antigen therapy, then you're not even dealing with the tolerance issue. If you have issues with clearance, Maybe it's a methylation issue. Maybe maybe you genetically are making as much DAO or your DAO pathways shut down. Maybe you need to take DAO or methyl donors. But if you really do have a um, uh, amplification issue, that's when the 3D immune tolerance program can can give you some aspect of support. But it may not be it may not be appropriate. For, may not be the mechanism for you. But one of the things that we don't cover in the 3D immune tolerance program that's important for mast cells that amplifies it is that prostaglandin imbalance. So you just have to make sure, like you do have a diet that's really high in, in things like uh, fish oils and flaxseed oil and not overburdened by a diet that's really high in fried foods or vegetable oils because that'll show off, that'll switch your prostaglandins in a way that histamines amplify this leukotriene response and then that could be why you're having problems. So I would, I would say look at, look at your prostaglandin issues too. So it may or may not be part of the spectrum that can help you if you have histamine tolerance issues, but it's not the only part of it. Elaine, here Elaine, says, any thoughts on low IgE on an immunoglobulin test after mold sickness? Other IgEs are normal. Low IgE. E like elephant. On an immunoglobulin test after mold sickness. Yeah, so if you have any kind of trigger, like for example, if you have mold, mold illness or something like that, um, and, you're, and you do a blood test and you have, in, in, in acute stages or in, when someone's immune system is still intact, you'll see very high immunoglobulins on a blood test for whatever the mold species is or that they're reacting to. But just like anything, the immune system does wear out. And if someone starts to have immune exhaustion and, and immune um, fatigue or immune compromise, and especially when you start to see their blood, total white blood cells come, go down a little bit, or even maybe just their B cell count called the CD19 count go down, then they are just basically getting wiped out. So it's a big indication that the immune system is really compromised. Um, so low IgE just means immune compromised, and it's specific to that uh, B, uh, that immunoglobulin response. So any chronic activation of that pathway can can uh, exhaust it. Okay, Melissa's asking, how do or do hormones factor into histamine levels? Hormones have an impact on his hormones have an impact on immune cells that then modulate amplification. So I remember I actually did a talk once on how hormones impact immune tolerance, and uh, that was fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. there's an extensive literature you had to do to come up with this talk. But um, immune cells that active, they amplify the immune response to histamines, whether it's mast cells, whether it's dendritic cells, whether it's Kupfer cells, whether it's um, cytotoxic T cells, they all have receptors for hormones, and and and, and they're all all the hormones. They're thyroid hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. So hormones have a very effective, or a very strong impact on immune cells and immune function. But it's not direct enough where we can go. You have mast activation syndrome, so you may have a hormone deficiency issue. It's more like you have chronic mast cell issues or histamine issues, and you got to just get healthier. And maybe as you balance out an underlying thyroid issue or you balance out an underlying hormone issue, you're not as reactive to the same histamine response as before. 
but it, it won't be as direct as hormone imbalance. Now you have mast cell activation syndrome or something like that. Okay. So, so he's also asking, why would intolerances increase over time? You kind of answered it a little Well, bit. intolerances increase over time, just like our metabolism slows down as we get older and we get bigger ears and bigger noses and all the other things that happen. Uh, our cell division and our efficiency for cell division changes as we get older. Um, and uh, one of the things that happens is our immune system becomes less efficient. So um, it's just one of the terrible things about the aging process. Our immune system becomes inefficient, less efficient as we get older, just like we lose bone density and everything else. Okay, Dean is asking, um, how do you increase microbiome diversity if you have histamine intolerance? Many of the ideal fruits and veggies to increase diversity are high in histamines. Exactly, and that's a really good point. Thank you, Dana. Thank you, Dana. So that is one of the difficult situations, and this is, again, why you really have to make sure if you're going on a low histamine diet, you actually have a histamine problem. Because when you start cutting out some of the most essential foods for the guts, especially fermented vegetables, um, it's going to be it's going to get in the way of your healing. And also, if you keep cutting down foods, the less food diversity you have, the less microbiome diversity you have, which then perpetuates your amplification process reaction to histamines. So it can be done. You just have to you just have to get a diverse vegetable and even diverse fruit uh, diet that or foods low in histamine that don't cause reactions for you. It's just more work, but it's definitely possible. Yeah, and you can go to markets you don't normally go to and get. Yeah, yeah. you go to market, like Asian markets and find vegetables that you normally don't see that you can eat and that's a good strategy as well. Okay, okay, okay this is kind of general, but is stress a true trigger? Yes, stress is a true trigger, but it's also the ultimate clinical cop-out. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, what happens when people, like, don't know what's going on, clinicians, like, if you don't know what to do, just blame it on stress. Uh, stress alone cannot cause mast cell activation syndrome or histamine intolerance. So that's number one. Stress basically adds fuel to the fire wherever the fire is, but it doesn't, it's not, it's not, it's not directly related to it. So, um... I mean, dealing with stress is important. Um, however, uh, you still have to find the three things we talked about. What are triggers causing the antigen load? Is there an issue with histamine clearance or is something amplifying the immune response? And stress really comes in with the third part of it, which is amplifying the immune response. Because stress has been shown to do a few things. It, just, it causes T-reg cells to dysfunction, which can amplify the response to histamine. It can actually cause barriers to break down, like the lung barrier and gut barrier. So now you're more reactive to allergens, whether it's inhalants or food proteins. Um, so it, it's a part of it, but it's also the ultimate cop-out. So you, you, know, you, gotta, you can't ignore it, but you don't want to blame everything on it. Okay. Monica, um, what about probiotics for mass cell activation? Yeah, probiotics are probably one of the least effective ways to actually improve your immune tolerance. Um, using something like short-chain fatty acids and butyrate would be much, much more effective. What we're learning about probiotics in the literature is that probiotics have, have varied effects on, 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 on different hosts, different hosts being the person taking it. So different probiotic strains work differently for different gut microbiomes, and there's a large variation of them. And uh, if you're going to look at immune support, you're better off taking short-chain fatty acids like butyrate over a probiotic for immune tolerance any day. Sean, can you please explain the CD4 to CD8 ratio and its role in immune resilience or immune balancing? Sure, if you, if you do a comprehensive immune panel called, um, let's say team B cell profile, they'll have something called the CD4, uh, which are T helper cells, and CD8, which are T suppressor cells. And there's a ratio between helper, meaning activate your immune system, and suppressors, which means calming down your immune system. And ideal CD4, CD8 ratio is like around, in a functional range, ideal range is like around 1.5 to two. If you see it above two, especially see it above a lab range, that tells us the immune system is actively fighting something. And then if you see the CD4 to C8 ratio really just depleted and low, then you probably have some type of immune suppression, so it's not able to properly respond to any kind of antigen trigger. 
you don't typically see major imbalances in CD4, CD8 ratios with, with mast cell activation syndrome and histamine issues. Um, you see them more really involved with active infections um, directly and, um, and autoimmune diseases. Okay, Pia asks, can you talk about histamine as a neurotransmitter and how it can affect the brain? Sure. So histamine is uh, an excitatory neurotransmitter and histamine actually, histamine receptors, H3 receptors are found all throughout the brain. And it's meaning that they control frontal lobe, occipital lobe, parietal lobe, they control autonomic centers. Um, so they have, they have a whole range of effects. And one of the key things with histamine is that there isn't one symptom associated with it. So when people, for example, have um, issues with, with, with histamines, they take a histamine block or, or they take something to suppress their histamine levels, they can get some cognitive uh, events. They're trying to make drugs that specifically block um, H1 receptors and not the H3 receptors, but it's not, they, they haven't been successful making that drug completely effective. There's still effects on the brain. So people will have all types of diverse symptoms. Some people will, will actually get crazy and get angry with histamine reactions or antihistamines. Um, some people will have cognitive issues they can't think, they can't focus. Um, so it kind of goes all over the place. It's not one specific symptom. However, the most common things people have when they have low histamine is they, they get too much excitation of their brain when their histamine levels are high. So they, it's almost like they can't focus on something. And then they also end up activating areas of the limbic system, which makes them really angry and agitated and irritable. Um, so those are the most common neurotransmitter reaction responses clinically we see with histamine pathways. Okay, Joy is saying, my toddler is gluten dairy free because he has a reaction to those foods. His pediatrician said we could cause him to have a gluten sensitivity by not giving him gluten at a young age. Is that true? There is some truth in that. So there was a paper that was published that showed, um, first of all, they showed with celiac disease siblings, if they exposed them to trace amounts of gluten, that they actually had less reactive gluten responses and celiac disease expressions when they got older. That some little bit, a little bit of priming was important for them um, to, to activate that response. Now, for most people, giving gluten to kids early, that reactions is going to cause a serious amount of problems. I think if you're gluten-free, you're going to get some of those accidental exposures anyways. So you're going to have some immune tolerance priming. But the big statement of just, so I think they're referencing that, that type of uh, literature, but the general concept of just not eating it so you're going to develop sensitivity to it, that's not going to happen. That's not how the immune system works. Right. And there's plenty of food proteins that have similar enough structural similarity to gluten with other types of food proteins and grains. So that's this is a little bit of an exaggerated claim based on the literature I think he's referring to. Yeah, or she. Or she. Um, the kid already has already has symptoms to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean they have symptoms to gluten. Do not right. give them gluten. Right. Okay. Do mast cells cause Jonalyn? Do mast cells cause anxiety? Affect anxiety, sorry, affect so, anxiety. Yes, yeah, so mast cells can cause anxiety. So here's the thing too. We have, uh, well, we know for sure there's four histamine receptors, H1, H2, H3, and H4. There's more, but there's the ones that are discovered so far. Just like with GABA, they first found GABA-A, then they found, now there's like, I think 26 <laughs> different GABA receptors. <laughs> so with histamine, they're, they're, they found four of them. But um, when you look at, how we all function in our own gene uniqueness is some of us could have exaggerated H1 reactions, some of us could have receptors, some of us have, have genetically have H3 receptors that have a greater response when they get histamine bind to it. So some people are going to have, they're going to be prone to, for example, if they're H1 and H4 histamine receptors are genetically more active, just a little bit of histamine load can cause severe skin reaction them, or it may not for someone else. And it may not be the total histamine load, but their genetic susceptibility to amplify that H1 or H4 receptor. Same thing with the brain. If you have if you have uh, genetic susceptibility to having greater H3 histamine 3 receptor amplification, then you're more prone to things like anxiety um, if you get a histamine reaction. Okay. Mariana, how do I know if the body is Th1 oh crud, or Th2 dominant if diagnosed with Hashimoto's MCAS and CIRS? 
chronic um, inflammatory respiratory syndrome, mass cell activation syndrome, and, and then Hashimoto's. Okay, so you're dealing with a lot. First thing, make sure your diagnoses are correct. Um, that's a lot. Of, that's that's a lot. Um, if you if you teach I'm one sorry. or teach two, how do you know if somebody is teach one or teach two? Well, teach one, teach two dominance. And here's the thing: it's it's uh, sometimes clear and sometimes it's not clear. In the past, you know, there's different ways to measure it. One of the ways to measure it is to do a blood test to look at cytokines or proteins that T helper one cells or T helper cells, TH two cells release. Um, and then that can give you a clue if one side is dominant or another, but it's really the least effective way. The most effective way is to what's called a, do what's called the cytokine-stimulated T-test. And this is where you take uh, in the lab um, antigen-presenting cells, T-cells, and you expose it to an antigen, like typically pokeweed mitogen. And then you see what cytokines are released, and that gives you a clue of how they're primed. That is a test that's the that's not commercially available right now it's it used to be uh but uh, it wasn't very popular people didn't order the labs are doing it stop doing it but it is used in research studies all the time so if you have chronic inflammatory respiratory syndrome mass activation syndrome and autoimmunity you're going to be all over the place i don't think you're going to clear you're going to get a clear th1 th2 response window um so that's the best that's i can answer your question Okay, so Natalie is saying, you've covered histamine reactions like skin, breathing. What about tinnitus and hot flashes after consuming histamine-rich foods? Many like myself have those as well. Sure. So Tinnitus and hot flashes. If you have tinnitus from histamine, that probably... So histamine is an excitatory neurotransmitter. And if you have degeneration in any area of the brain or injury in any of the brain, when you increase your excitatory neurotransmitter load, then those symptoms can come out. So it's just like... um, People that consume MSG. Uh, some people consume MSG, monosodium glutamate. That's a, also an excitatory neurotransmitter, and they and then there's different reactions. Some people consume MSG and they get dizzy and they get nausea and disoriented and vertigo. Some people consume MSG and they get tinnitus or tinnitus. Some people get consume MSG and they get severe uh, anxiety or mood swings. Um, those are some people that consume MSG and they get. Uh, bright lights uh, or, or visual scotomas or things that happen to them. So wherever their brain is already not efficient or injured is where symptoms come out. So if you have tinnitus and you've got some degree of injury to your um, auditory receptors, your inner ear organ or your auditory cortex and histamine is activating that. So. When we, you know, in a clinical setting, when I do an evaluation and I hear something like that, it clues me into where areas of neurodegeneration are. So when areas of the brain have neurodegeneration, their cells are unstable and, and they activate very, very quickly with any kind of uh, stimulus. So um, if you're having reactions with histamine to tinnitus, then that suggests you may have some degenerative changes there. What was the other symptom? I can't remember. Uh, I'm on the next page. Oh. Tinnitus, hot flashes. Hot, hot flashes. flashes. Hot flashes could be related to just autonomic centers of the brain as well, where you're controlling your hypothalamic thermoregulation centers. So if I ever heard that in history, I'd be just worried about brain health, brain regeneration, um, if any of those underlying things are there, and maybe digging into that approach a little bit more. But histamine is going to cause a diverse list of symptoms because we have histamine receptors all throughout our body. And where you see symptoms when people have histamine loads is a clue to... Um, the integrity of those tissues. Okay. George is asking, um, repair rate is increasing my anxiety due to the L-glutamine in the ingredients. Should I stop taking it for leaky gut? Uh, if you have an adverse reaction to any supplement, you should stop taking it. Mm-hmm. But let me explain something. There's a theory like if you take L-glutamine, it's going to activate to L-glutamate and L-glutamate's excitatory. That is not real. That is internet mumbo jumbo. L-glutamine is not going to convert to L-glutamate in the brain uh, because that's not how the system works. Um, we have pathways within cells that convert glutamate to glutamate and glutamate back to glutamine that are tightly regulated. It has, has no influence by oral ingestion of glutamine. So beware of the completely inaccurate information that taking L-glutamine is going to cause glutamate exotoxicity issues and glutamine activity. That's people who read something and look at a biochemistry pathway but really don't understand biochemistry and how rate-limiting enzymes work and how modulation of glutamine and glutamate work. It's 
oral glutamate intake does not immediately cause you to have excess glutamate. Um, anyways. Okay, this is a little off topic, but interesting. Jacqueline asks, why might a child with ADHD be calmer on antihistamines? Could it be excess histamine? Well, histamine is excitatory. So yeah. why might a child with attention deficit with, disorder? With attention deficit, hyper, yeah, ADHD, yeah, be calmer on antihistamines. Well, it could be calmer on antihistamines, possibly. Just, but it may not be related to histamine load. So that's the key thing. It's an antihistamine. Histamine is an excitatory neurotransmitter. Most people that take an antihistamine do have some degree of sedation and their brain calms down and have less function. So it's with many kids that have attention deficit disorder, they, they really have areas of the brain that should dampen other areas that then lead to hyperactivity. So taking an antihistamine may just be relating to directly impacting those brain receptors, but not really due to histamine load. The, the, when you're really worried about histamine, histamine being a physiological problem is when you're having direct uh, symptoms associated with things like uh, skin irritation, skin redness, sinus congestion, wheezing. Those are your bigger clues to really think about histamine issues. Now, if he had those symptoms as well as the histamine blocker and his uh, brain function improved, then I would say you have histamine overload issue. And then again, look for triggers, look for things that clear it out, look for things that amplify that, that histamine response, go down that pathway. But uh, I'm not sure if that's necessary in your specific case. Okay, uh, Vera is asking, can aller allergies ever be cured? Can allergies ever be cured? So there is some research that low-to-dose antigen therapy in published literature has, has corrected allergies, actual allergies, IgE responses. Um, so you might want to look that up. And if you're interested in the science, just go to National Library of, science, National Library of Medicine, uh, pubmed.gov.gov, just type in low-dose antigen therapy, and there's lots of literature there. So for some people, it works very well. Some people, they have no effect. I think uh, the best thing to do is to improve your immune tolerance and then, and then do low-dose antigen therapy. Just like if someone was doing fertility treatment, you want to get them as healthy as possible before they get fertility treatment. So they have the best chance of getting pregnant. Um, but yeah, there is ways that allergies can be actually resolved. Okay, Elizabeth asks- oh, By the way, oh. you, can't, you can't treat allergy with leaky gut. Leaky gut de deals with food sensitivity, not necessarily with true allergy. You cannot. Cannot. Okay, thank you. Elizabeth asks, is it possible to, ha to have just an overexcited limbic system after lots of stress on your body and have reactions to any type of food, Drug, anything put in your body, like I, anything. Yes. Yes. So you could have, you could have uh, over, so there's an area of the brain called the limbic system. The limbic system is where you have your fear, anxiety, stress response. It's the area of the brain that's, that actually changes the structure and morphology with people that have post traumatic stress syndrome, for example. That their actual receptor sites um, activate for longer periods of time. They call that long term potentiation. And the receptors become more sensitive to different triggers. So when people actually develop what we call PTSD, there's actual changes in their brain receptors and their brain structures. And um, at that point, anything that can bind and activate them, like histamine, which is an excitatory neurotransmitter, can make things worse. So, you know, if you have a um, PTSD brain and now you have histamine intolerance issues, that's a pretty bad combination. Um, you can definitely need to be very aggressive in trying to get your histamine load down uh, in that scenario because you have we have receptors that are so reactive to that increased load. Okay, Mariana asks, is there a connection between high total cortisol, low testosterone, and MCAS? There's no specific correlation with any hormone pattern to MCAS. We just know hormones have an impact on the immune system. So th that hormone pattern, any hormone pattern isn't going to be specific to histamines, mast cells, mast cell activation syndrome. Okay, Peggy asks, do you ever use NeuroQuant to help clinically or study for research? Uh, NeuroQuant is just a way that people are using imaging to look at cell volumes of the brain, if you're not familiar with it, to determine like early neurodegeneration and so forth. Um, NeuroQuant has a lot of promise in helping us understand imaging better when we compare it with people the same age group. It's it's being already investigated in lots of research studies. So I think it's a useful tool. It's also something where um, it's still a new form of assessment. There's lots of uh, 
debate on the interpretation of NeuroQuant. So I think uh, NeuroQuant is great, has a lot of potential, just going to get, this just needs time to mature. So we can actually determine what's overstating a response with volume and size compared to someone's age group and, and what's actually accurate. And, uh, but it's on it, but it's, it's very uh, great, great uh, technology to have. You can find all of this information and more at drknews.com slash podcast. There you'll find the show notes, readings, and links related to this episode. You can also find Dr. Karazian's blog at drknews.com. The best thing to do is sign up for his weekly newsletter, where he will update you on the latest research and clinical strategies related to chronic and autoimmune health conditions. On social, you can find him on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest with the username Datis Karazian. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. And note, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they have, and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. To learn more about Dr. Karazian's disclosures and the companies he advises, please visit drknews.com forward slash about.